0: Y'all can have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. How are things going? Good. Um, my name is Ed Griffin Hagan. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at uh, at Church on the Trail. I'm thankful that y'all are <clears throat> that y'all are here this morning. If you're watching uh, on YouTube or on Facebook, we're thankful that you're carving out some time here to do that. And if it's if it's Tuesday afternoon right now when you're watching, and we're thankful that uh, that you carved out some time during the week to watch. So. Uh, it's awesome to be here. It's awesome to be in the house of the Lord. I want Before we get started this morning, I want a couple things I want to do. I guess number one, if you don't have a worship guide, I want to get one in your hand. So if you don't have a worship guide, raise your hand and somebody will get one in your hand. And if this is your first time here uh, visiting with us at Church on the Trail, we want to get a little uh, little brochure in your hands that kind of gives you the DNA of our church. And if so, if it's your first time and you want one of those, Let us know, and then I want you to stop by the Connections desk after uh, the worship experience this morning, and we've got a little gift for you. Uh, I also want to let you know that there's a prayer table back in the back. Some people from our prayer team are back there. If you need prayer during the service, just get up and go, and afterwards, the same thing holds true. We would love to pray with you, pray for you, uh, and just kind of that's what the body of Christ does. We bear each other's burdens. The other thing, if it's your first time here, in the seat back in front of you is one of these little connection cards, and we want to just kind of know that you're here if you can fill that out. Um, we next, uh, we got a couple things going on this week. Number one is a blood drive tomorrow. From 2 to 7, Red Cross is going to be here in the, in the building in our uh, kids area next door. If you have not signed up, registered, please go to redcrossblood.org. And you can just search 31820, the zip code, and we'll pop up. Um, there's still spots left that we need to fill. And so that's a, there's a great need in our country for blood. And so I really encourage y'all to consider doing that. And then next Sunday, remember, we're not going to be meeting here in the morning next Sunday. We're going to be meeting out on the church land right down the road at 7201 Flat Rock Road for an outdoor, we're calling that a Resurrection Celebration. It's like Easter in June, right? And so we'll have worship, uh, and we'll have a message, and we've got food vendors out there for afterwards to to kind of break bread, eat dinner together, and there's stuff for the kids, Easter eggs. Again, it's like Easter in June. So I encourage y'all get your friends and your family to come. It'll be a it'll be a really really good time. Now we are in the second week of a walk through the the. Uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome uh, that he wrote when he was in Corinth around 57 or 58 AD. We started this two weeks ago and then last week we kind of veered off of Romans um, to really to address uh, what was going on in our world, in our country. Um, But we're jumping back into Romans today. We went through the first half of chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. Today we're going to be starting in verse 18 read you verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The first word in that verse is the word for, and that word for really is important because it links the first section of Romans 1 to, to this, and that first section of Romans 1, if you remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is all about the gospel, and you know, this gospel that Paul says that he is not ashamed of. And the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of is necessary because the wrath of God is a real thing. And because the wrath of God is the is a real thing, um, the gospel, the only cure for that is is the gospel is the is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is a a, a, a a cure for that wrath and that, even that word wrath y'all it's a word that like raise your hand if you've used that word in the last six months in your life we just don't use that word right and it's the word orge in, in Greek and, and it's also translated anger sometimes and it's usually translated anger when it is used um, of, a, of a person, of a human being but it's usually translated wrath when it is used of God and so there's, some, there's anger inside of that word, even when it's used uh, of God. But it refers to his judgment, to God's judgment that ultimately is going to be laid down on the wicked at the end of the day. It's like, an, it's like angry justice. It's an anger that stands against sin and evil and violence and slaughter and, and immorality and the injustices, y'all, of men. It's an anger that absolutely loathes and hates evil and it doles out equal justice. But it's an anger that's also deep, uh, deep in the heart of God. It's deeply heartfelt. So Paul uh, had just finished laying out for me and you at this beginning, uh, this beginning of, of chapter 1. He had just laid out, if you remember, what I called the salvation equation. The salvation equation, and if you remember that, it is the salvation equation is, is God's uh, unfailing, steadfast love plus His limitless power. So it's His, his steadfast love that never ceases plus His boundless, endless uh, power. That is what equals salvation, and that's a gift that's given uh, to me and you, and it's free, and it's available to everyone And I think in my own mind, like, why would anybody say no to that offer? Like, it just seems dumb. So today, we're going to walk, beginning in verse 18, we're going to walk through this case, and I'm going to preface this by saying verses 18 through 32 of Romans 1 are pretty difficult. It paints a a seriously bleak picture of lost man. And so, just hang with me till the end, because there's some light at the end of the tunnel. But God it begins in verse 18, and, and Paul is like making this, this case, this case against the ungodliness and the wickedness of men. It's like a lawyer. A lot of Romans, when you read Romans, it's almost like it's a courtroom setting. So here God is making this case against the ungodliness, the wickedness of men who are far from him. He's talking about people who are far from him. And there's two, compa- two components of the case that God's making that I want to go through today, the first is this: Why it is? Why has God shown? Uh, does God show His wrath? The the wise. So verse 18 again: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, so God's wrath, first of all, is a reality. It's a reality, and it's revealed from heaven, and He shows this wrath really against like two, um, two buckets of people, two different sort of classes of folks. Number one, it's men who fail to love and obey him. They do what they want, when they want, because they want to do it. And they may pay him some sort of lip service, but they completely ignore him in their everyday walk. And then you got folks who suppress the truth. And of course, these people... They, they have access to the truth, but they ignore it and they avoid it and they neglect it and they really just sweep the truth up under the rug. Why do they do that? Because they want to live however they want to live. Y'all, if we can just push the truth out of the way, we can just live however we want to live. And that's what these people that Paul is talking about, that's one of the reasons. Verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. He's saying it's obvious. So God shows his wrath because men reject what God, what He's made obvious on the inside, in their consciences, in their, in their reasoning, in their thoughts, in their minds, in their intellect. It is, it is inside of us, y'all. It's inside. People know. They know. But they choose to not know. Right? You can choose to not know, to act like you don't know. Verse 20. For His invisible attributes namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So not only do they reject what's inside, in their mind, in their conscience, and in their intellect, they reject what's on the outside as well. And that's the signs of creation. Y'all, creation reveals God. The whole universe, everything, re- the human body, the birth of a child, Everything outside, when you look around, it all, it all just reeks of God. When we look at nature, we don't just see a creative God, but we see a loving God who, who cares for and he provides for his creation and he replenishes and he restores his creation. So the Bible here says that we're without excuse. Man is without excuse. And the, the shocking truth is that haters, you, you really just don't even have a leg to stand on you got all the evidence right in front of your face within creation and yet many people reject the knowledge of God within that very creation. I hope that makes sense because we're without excuse when we reject him there's no defense man. there's no reason there's no answer that can even begin to justify these folks rejection of God now think about this I'm walking through the woods and I find this. Got one on the screen, right? I find find this pocket watch. There's like, I don't know and this is a little cliche and some of you have probably heard this argument but I find this pocket watch and I don't know there's like 75 or 100 parts you know and I find this and I look at it and you got you got the little straight thing right there that seems to click around and it Perfectly, kind of, it works, and about every 60 seconds, it makes its way, you know, around, and it, and it looks designed. It looks like somebody that had a brain, had an intellect, kind of designed it, and, and you may say that they created it, It, but because it looks designed, and so I'm not going to go walking in the woods, find this, and say, oh, I bet all those little pieces of metal and springs and glass just fell out of the sky landed, and over time, when the wind blew, and when some rain moved it around, and some dirt, that it just kind of put itself together into a watch. I'm not going to say that. Well, because it looks designed, y'all. It looks designed. If it looks like a duck and flies like a duck, it's probably a duck. You think about the human body. You got 7,500 to 10,000 parts in a human body, plus about 30 trillion cells in a human body. And so we look designed Work, plus the kicker is you got information too, and by that I mean DNA, in the DNA there's information, right? It's not just uh, it's not just parts, right? And so you have all that, and and, and, and um, the, this hater, this rejecter of God is going to ask you to say and believe, despite how perfectly designed, how perfectly designed the human body looks, how how perfect everything kind of works, and you have the information in there as well that you're asked to believe that it just happened by some random chance. Y'all, that's just nonsense. And it's silly. If it looks designed, then it is more than likely it is designed. And that is, that is what the people that reject God, they ask you to believe that. Again, his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So God displays his wrath because men failed to honor him. Men failed to glorify him. Men failed um, to worship him, to serve him as God, to obey him, to give thanks to him. These people, they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't praise him. They didn't magnify his name. They didn't express appreciation to him. Y'all, when this happens, your mind gets jacked up gets jacked up. That word futile in the Greek it really means jacked up. Your mind gets jacked up when you do that. That's the, the Ed translation or something. I don't know. But that's what happens. There's no wisdom, right? There's no wisdom. When, uh, when you, you, your mind becomes futile in the way that you think, you lose, you lose wisdom and, and, and you lose the ability to see kind of clearly Ultimately, you become darkened, and you become blinded, and you're unable to see straight. Verse 22, Paul says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And when they became fools, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so the last reason God, the only true and living God, shows his wrath is because men become prideful, and they turn away from him. And this scene of man turning away from him and rejecting him is really probably the, probably the greatest tragedy in, in all of human history. And, it, and that tragedy is repeated every single time men turn away from God. And that scene is man rejecting God and claiming that he is uh, too wise for all that God stuff that he's too intelligent to believe in all the myths and the fables in the Bible. Y'all, I had somebody in my family one time, shortly after I got saved, patted me on the back and said, it's okay, you just don't understand. You you know, one day you'll kind of become enlightened and you'll get it. And I'm like, what kind of nonsense is that? It's, it's It's a claim that says that you couldn't possibly have half a brain and still believe the gospel that you couldn't have half a brain and still believe that Christ died on a cross to pay for our sins. You got to be dumb to believe that. That's what the rejectors of God are saying. That's the people that Paul here in this uh, in this in the end of Romans one. That's the people that he's making this case against. They think they're so smart, and y'all all know people like that. They think they're so smart and, and in a condescending way look at you as if you couldn't possibly be, have, have half a brain again. My mom, y'all, she said, you don't actually believe that stuff, do you? You're smarter than that, she said. And so people like that, they're ultimately, it, they're just prideful and they're ignorant. And when men's hearts and minds are emptied of God and they reject God, they've got to replace him with something or someone else. They got to have some other God, some other something, some other guiding light to give life meaning. Everybody wants life to have meaning, right? And so they got if to, they, if they throw God out to the curb, they got to fill that void with something. Something else becomes their God. And it may be work, it may be their work, it may be money, it may be science. Like they just latch on to science and it becomes. Uh, their God, or it may be themselves, very often it's themselves. Hear this now, they tend to craft God in their minds the way they want him to be to suit themselves, and then they worship that God that they've created in their mind, but ultimately they're worshiping themselves because they made God out to be like them. It's like it's like they have Created a God in their image rather than the other way around. Now, back in the day, you know, two, three, four thousand years ago, it was typically a, a physical idol. The scripture calls it an, an abomination sometimes. And it's talking about a physical idol carved into some image that may resemble a man or it may resemble an animal or something. And Isaiah writes about the lunacy in worshiping anything or anyone else other than the Lord. In Isaiah 44, and he's talking about, in particular in Isaiah 44, and we're going to have this up on the screen, um, he's talking about cutting down a tree, and it starts in verse 16, and here's what I, and it's kind of, you've got to read a little sarcasm into this, okay? You know, there is some sarcasm in the scripture, right? And there is some satirical sort of stuff, and Isaiah's kind of laughingly saying this, and so he's talking about cutting down a tree. He says, half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half that he burns in the fire, he eats meat. He roasts it and he's satisfied. Also, he warns himself and say, warms himself and says, Aha, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it, the rest of the tree, you know, he took half of it and he made a fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol. And he falls down to it and he worships it. And he praised it and he says, Deliver me for you are my god. And then Isaiah says, Nobody considers, they don't even think about it. Nor, nor is there any knowledge or discernment to even say how dumb, this I'm adding in, how dumb it is that half of it I burned in a fire and shall I make the rest of it an abomination and again that's talking about an idol shall I fall down before a block of wood and so Isaiah saying anything other than the Lord is just lunacy to be worshipping this block of wood part of it is it's a tree y'all and I made a fire out of it, and then I'm going to make it look all cool and call it a god and then worship it. makes no sense. So part one of this case that uh, God is making against the ungodliness and wickedness of men, part one is this, this why. You know, why does he show his wrath? Part two is how. How does he make his case? How does he make this case for wrath? So that's going to start in verse 24. He says, Therefore, God gave them up, the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So this therefore pushes us back to look at these first few verses, 18 through 22 or 3, like I just gave you all of the whys, now let me give you the hows. And so these next several verses, Paul is discussing Uh, the way that God reveals and shows his wrath, his angry justice. And they all concern judgment that rains down on lost man because of ungodliness. First, he does this. He says God gave them up. He gave them up. That's a terrifying thought. It's a terrifying thought. It's nearly an abandonment. He gave them up to do what? To do as they willed. And this is said three times in these next several verses. God gave them up. There's two reasons why God gives man up. One is they choose sin over him. And when man does that, he becomes enslaved to sin. It looks good. It tastes good. It feels good. It's attractive. And you think that it's going to satisfy, but it doesn't. But you think it is. And then, it, and then that begots more sin and more sin until you're just totally a slave to that. And then man abandons God. God gives man free will. You and I have a chooser, and we get to choose. We have free will. I had somebody texted me today, uh, this week, Tuesday, I think. Somebody in our church got a text that said, Do we have free will And is God all-knowing? And I'm like, dude, that is too big to be texting about, right? I can't text back and answer, you know, to that. But this is things people struggle with, and we had a long conversation about it, a really long, good conversation. We do have free will. We have the ability to choose. Sometimes we make terrible choices. Sometimes we turn away from Him, and He does not interfere with that because He did not create mechanical robots when he breathes life into us, he didn't you know you think he wants us he, 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 he spiritually he appeals to me and you with grace and mercy and love, but he does not violate man's choice he does not violate our free will it's like if you're, if you're a parent and you have a little you have a little son little daughter and you're sitting in your chair in your great room watching a ball game or something and and the, and the kid walks across the great room and you say Zach get over here and give me a hug and tell me that you love me that's option one. What's better that or Zach walks, walks in the room and turns and looks at me and runs and jumps in my lap and says daddy I love you. That's what God wants. Could he have created us as robots? Of course he could uh, but that's not what he did. He gave us all choosers and we get to choose and decide. But again he appeals to us. Well, how does he appeal to us? With grace and mercy and love and justice. And so here he shows in, in verse um, 24 and 5, he shows his wrath by giving men over to impurity. And that word that's translated, at least in the ESV, impurity, it means filthiness and immorality and, and uncleanness and pollution and dirty and contamination and, and, and kind of infection. And so when men turn from God and abandon God to live unclean and immoral lives, God gives them over to that choice because that's what they chose. It's all about the heart. It's all about a messed up heart. We talked a couple of weeks. Well, we talked last week about the heart. And you all hear this truth. Sin always takes place in the heart before it takes place in the act. Does that make sense? It always takes place in the heart first. And then it manifests itself in an act. And so, you can't fix the act until you fix the heart. And you ain't fixing your heart yourself. You're not. What happened on the cross is what fixes the heart. It's always a heart thing. So it happens there first, and then it manifests itself in the act. Verse 25 reminds us again a little bit of the why. And it's because the these people that Paul's talking about, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. started way back in the garden. What did the, what the, what the, uh, Satan, what the deceiver say to Eve and Adam? What, what did he say? Did God really say? It all begins with revising history, right? It always begins with God told him this and the devil's going to get up in your ear and say, did he really say that? I don't think he really said that. You kind of misheard him. So it always begins that way so the point is this, man abandons the only true and living God, and he runs after impurity. And what happens then is he creates a God who allows him to satisfy his own desires. He rationalizes these people Paul's talking about. He rationalizes, and he thinks that this God that he's created in his mind understands his situation and his need, and this God is not going to judge him. This God that he's created kind of puts his stamp of approval on however, uh, however he wants to act. He matches his God, because he's created him in his mind, he matches his God to fit his views of right and wrong. He lets his views of right and wrong determine the kind of God that he's going to worship. And he allows his own views of right and wrong to control his thoughts about God. So again, men will create this God in their image so they can satisfy this God. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up, here's that language again, to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So second, he shows his wrath by giving men over to dishonorable passions. And that term means passions that are running wild and rampant and they're uncontrolled and they're unmanaged no matter how hard we try to control them ourselves. And so these are passions uh, and relationships that men have, that women have, that are in conflict with God's design that are in conflict with the natural order of things. And I want to be gentle the way that I say this because we haven't opened up trail tots and trail kids and so there are a bunch of kids in here. But Paul's talking about passions and actions that fly in the face of the passions and actions of husband and wife in the confines of a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Verse 28. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Here's that language again. To a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent. How would you like to be called a hater of God? Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. So third, he gives, uh, he gives them up, he gives them over to their own debased minds. And that word, debased a debased mind, is the, 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 a mind that is rejected, that is disapproved, that is degraded, that is uh, depraved, a mind that cannot stand, y'all, the test of judgment. And so God gives them up to that debased mind because men reject him. They have a knowledge of God, but they don't recognize or acknowledge or approve Him. They simply don't want God to have anything whatsoever to do with their lives. So they put Him to the curb, they push Him out, and they ignore Him, and they just refuse to accept His presence. Like, I just don't want to talk about that right now. I'm living my life, I'm having fun, I'll deal with that God stuff later. So the the result is that men are allowed to do exactly as they choose. And then they get enslaved more and more to their own depravity and behavior. In verse 29, he says, They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Adikia is the Greek word for unrighteousness. And it is injustice, and it is wrongdoing, and it is evildoing, and it is every kind of evil, and it's the opposite of righteousness. In other words, it's mistreating God and mistreating man and acting unjustly towards both. It is focusing at the end of the day, it is focusing on yourself and making yourself, making you the center of the universe. It's being greedy and self-centered and selfish. You're greedy for all the attention and all the stuff that you can accumulate. It is ignoring and abusing others to get everything that you can get. And Paul goes on in verse 20 here and he gives us examples. Tw- uh, twenty examples. Excuse me. It's not verse twenty. He gives us all those examples. There's twenty starting in verse twenty-nine. Twenty examples, y'all. That paints a bleak picture of lost man. It is a rough, rough list. Verse 20, th- Hey. Verse thirty-two. Coming down to the end. Verse thirty-two though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, talking about spiritual death, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And I believe that this verse is the pinnacle of chapter 1 of Romans. God, the only true and living God, assures final judgment, which is what? It's death. And the death he's talking about is eternal, eternal separation from him. Judgment and condemnation eternally separated from God, occurs because we know the righteous decree. Y'all, we know. They know. They get it. Paul was convinced that every single person that is in rebellion against God perceives the final outcome of that rebellion. They get it. But even the finality of that death, it just gets ignored. They push it off to the side. Y'all, me and you, we were created... God breathed life into us. We were created in his image. And we have a basic understanding. We are wired up with a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. We know it's inside of us. You can pretend like you don't know, and you can pretend like that's not put inside of you, but we, it's, it's there. We know when we do something wrong. We know. It's there. We call that moral absolute, y'all. And and people didn't and a moral absolute would be um, an absolute right or an absolute wrong that is always right or always wrong no matter what culture you live in and no matter when in history that you lived those are moral absolutes and they come from God God puts that inside of us that understanding and that truth that that's there it's not just in and I hate to use this word. It's not just in religious circles that that truth exists psychologists say that it is the rare person who has no conscience that person has a serious personality disorder that is crazy hard to treat so barring serious personality disorders people instinctively know when they do wrong but they may not care you get that? Don't, they can't act like they didn't know they do know but they don't care And if they act like that and they act like they reject God, they reject this idea that there are absolute rights and absolute wrongs inside of us. So they know, y'all. They know and they understand. And, And what God says is that they're being willfully disobedient. I used to tell my kids, you don't get a spanking for a mistake. You get a spanking for being willfully disobedient, right? Verse 29 goes on, and I think this is the kicker because I don't want you leaving here thinking for a second that there is an expectation of sinlessness on the good side of salvation. I do not believe that the entirety of Scripture in any way, shape, or form says that. Okay, so Paul goes on, he says this. I'll explain that a little more in a second. He says they not only do them, and the them is those 20 things, but they give approval to those who practice them. And the NIV translates that part of this verse. They not only continue to do these very things. Another translation says, yet not only do they keep doing them. The tense of that verb, do, it's continuous. It's not did, it's do. And they continue. It's habitual. It's a continuous action. They keep on doing the same thing over and over. You keep on sinning even when you have the knowledge and so does gra- is grace real? Of course grace is real. What does Paul say about grace? Grace is not an excuse to just keep sinning. Of course grace. But don't cheapen the grace. You keep on doing the same thing over and over, you're cheapening what happened on the cross. And so these people he's talking about, they keep doing it. And when you combine that continuous action with the last part of this, this verse which says they give approval to those who practice them, here's what you're left with. You're left with unrepentant, shaking your fist at God, continuous sin as a lifestyle, and you're rooting it all on for everybody else to jump on your wagon. This is not a passage that says if you commit a sin, you're going to hell. That is not what this passage says. That is not what the entirety of Scripture says. Because we would all be there, right? That is not what it says. It's talking about a continuous lifestyle, And we're talking about folks that have turned their backs on, they've rejected God, and they realize that their their deeds deserve the penalty, but they're also continuing in the sin, and they're encouraging everybody else to do it too. So it should be no shocker that many folks like that fiercely defend certain lifestyles. People in rebellion that are defending that lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle is, that displeases God, they got a lot at stake, and here's why they got a lot at stake. Because if they agree in any way with God's analysis of their life, what do they have to do? Repent and change. Repent and change. And so God's Word, it reminds us that gaining the whole world or convincing others that we're right, it means nothing if the Creator says that we're wrong. Claiming our way is right in the face of of God's disagreement puts us in grave danger. Jesus said, Luke 9 says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I said a little while ago, He appeals to us with grace and mercy and love and justice. Now that was hard, y'all. That 30 minutes, that was hard. Because that paints a terrible picture. Like, I want to go run my head into the wall. It paints a terrible picture of man. But thank God there's another five minutes here. Praise the Lord that he provides a way. Like, praise the Lord that he provides a way out of the bleakness that Paul just painted. Jesus provides a way. The gospel provides a way. Last uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about four different images that the Bible paints of salvation. If you remember this, Salvation delivers us from being lost, praise the Lord. Salvation delivers us from sin, praise the Lord. Salvation delivers us from from enemies and dangers, praise the Lord. And at the end of the day, salvation delivers us from the eternal corruption, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that that altar represents freedom, freedom from a debased mind, Right? Freedom from all unrighteousness, freedom from all wickedness, freedom from evil, from covetousness, freedom from impurity, from envy, from murder, from strife, from deceit, freedom from, uh, from maliciousness. All these things Paul wrote about freedom from gossiping, freedom from, from slander, from hating God, y'all freedom from haughtiness and boastfulness, freedom from being an inventor of evil freedom from being disobedient to parents, freedom from foolishness and faithlessness and heartlessness and ruthlessness. is freedom, y'all. It's not a bunch of rules to check a box. You think that it's the opposite of freedom, but it is total, pure freedom. All these things that Paul talks about, these 20-ish things that he talks about, all of them, they're all defeated by the, Christ, the cross of Christ they're all defeated they can all be conquered at that altar they can y'all the gospel don't twist it it is not about being sinless it is about and you know you have different theologies out there from one extreme to the next you got the hyper grace theology that doesn't even speak of sin it's just grace 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 well of course it's grace but I gotta know that I'm a sinner Y'all, what did the the task letter said? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then you got this other side over here that says, well, when you get saved, you're supposed to be sinless. In what world is that true? How many of y'all are sinless? I know I'm not. So the scripture doesn't say that. The gospel is, however, about repentance and change. Change. And sometimes the change is super slow, man. Paul wouldn't, it would be an oxymoron to say, I got this friend, he's a Christian, but he's a fruitless Christian. There ain't no such thing. But it may be raisins, and the raisins may get up into watermelons or something. I don't know. But don't put this burden on you. If you want to say yes today to the gospel, if you want to say yes today to Jesus, don't think that tomorrow you're going to be sinless. Scripture doesn't say that. You're going to be saved, right? Right? lost sinners and saved sinners that's the only two kind of people on the planet so you're going to be on the good side of salvation but don't put this burden on yourself that you're going to be sinless but it also doesn't mean that you can just keep on living the way that you were living you can't be the same you're taking the you're taking one set of lenses off and putting uh the uh, god's god goggles is what my buddy calls it you put you're seeing the world through a different set of lenses all right? So there has to be re- uh, repentance and then change. And it's, it's, it's about placing your faith and your trust in the sinless Messiah that did die on that cross to buy us back to redeem us. He, he, he died as a substitute for our sins because if, if, if God is just, that sin has got to be paid for. And you can't pay for it yourself. It's the oddest thing. It's just the oddest thing. But I have to, it's just two things. I got to repent. What does it mean? I got to turn away from my sin and I got to turn towards God. I got to look at the sin from his perspective rather than mine. So I got to repent and then I, and if y'all can turn the lights down, it'd be awesome. I got to repent and I want to believe that that death took care of my sin. And if that is you today, cons- just consider it. Consider saying yes to that offer. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your grace and mercy, for your love, and we thank you for your justice. Lord, we, may, we even thank you for your wrath because without the wrath, there'd be no grace. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And if today is a day that you, um, that you want to say yes to that offer, whether you're here with us right now, whether you're watching on the TV or on the computer just say these words along with me Lord, today's the day where I repent of my sin I'm going to turn towards you and Lord, I understand that I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to be saved, so Lord, save me right now, have mercy on me a sinner it's in Jesus name, amen